Today, I want to lay a foundation. Um, and I have no idea how, how much we're going to get through the outline today. Because there's so much depth to this story um, and, and, and continuing story from the Old Testament. So you're going to want to turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. And I want to look at this sobering, challenging example. Numbers chapter 13, and we'll begin with the first verse. But this, this uh, example shows us that living my, our utmost for his highest, boy, I'm going to have trouble with that all year long. Our utmost for his highest is about who we are, which then determines what we do. Because, you know, when Jesus came, he dealt with who we are, our character, the essence of who we are. And then out of that comes what we do. We are human beings first, and then we do things. We're not human doings. It's about becoming like Christ, then having actions that honor Christ. And getting there is so much more deeper, higher, broader than we realize because as I've said so many times, we live in an upside down culture. We're born into an upside down culture. We're we're raised in an upside down culture and God's purpose is to turn us 180 degrees right side up. And so many of the things that seem to make sense from a human standpoint, we, we buy into. When from a spiritual standpoint, they don't make any sense. I've been waiting a long time to share this illustration. <laughs> So 20 years ago, I bought term life insurance. That was good for 20 years. And I could pay $452 a year. Um, and I could, and at that point would have, I think $300,000 insurance if I died, which I didn't tell Sheila much about because I thought she'd be tempted That's not a lot of life insurance, but we figured it was enough to get her through the kid raising years. And so this last year, <clears throat> it, ex it expired. And so the company sent me an offer to continue to get this insurance if I wanted it. And if I'm reading this right, um, I, couldn't, I can get, so I had... $300,000 insurance for $452 a year. I could start getting this year that same amount of insurance for $12,728. worth of insurance for, it went from $452 to $12,728. Which I thought, okay, you know, that, send me the information. But they didn't stop there. They, they ran the schedule. So year one was when I was 45 years old. Year, so when I ran, year four, 21, I'm 65 years old. They ran it through year 53. So if we do the math on that, year one was 45 plus 53 would be 90 what? 98 years. And every year it grows up. 
So I thought, well, you know, I, I, mean, I might still need some insurance at 65 years. So that would be year 30. Um, so that would cost me $35,000, $330 for $300,000 insurance. And I thought, you, you know, you'd think they'd stop there. Who would even pay attention after that? But they ran it to year 53 as if I'm going to pay attention as if I would even be aware at that age of life insurance. <laughs> but when I turn, what was it? 90 what? 98. 98. When I turn 98, I can get $300,000 worth of insurance from them <laughs> if I pay $244,952. <laughs> That's a good deal, right? How does this make sense in any dimension of reality? And yet they sent it, they paid good, a postage they paid to send this to me. Now, does it, raise your hand if that makes any sense at all. Anybody think I should take that deal? No, no. <laughs> Mean, meanwhile, David Frick was able to get me $250,000 of insurance for about, you know, a little bit more than what I was paying before. There's, it's out there. So, so don't worry, Sheila's still covered and she's still thinking about what she might do with the money. Now, I, I say all that just to show you the ridiculous, ridiculousness of that. Because some of what we buy into in this world is just that ridiculous. But because the majority thinks it's good, they buy into it. We've seen that, haven't we? And we continue to see it. Because when you aren't who God wants you to be, you can't see what God wants you to see. So let's take a look at this. And again, I don't know how far we're going to get through it. But we'll get a, we'll get a start. The Numbers chapter 13, um, the context is that God has freed the children of Israel from Egypt through a series of unimaginable miracles. The children of Israel have seen all of that. And so they, they are freed from Egypt. They're on their way to escape. They come to the Red Sea and they think they're going to die because Pharaoh's troops are behind them. God parts the Red Sea they cross over on dry land, which makes no sense whatsoever, but that's because it's a miracle of God. It happens. They get to the other side. Pharaoh takes care of Egypt. They don't have any more trouble with Egypt. They get into the promised land. God provides for them with miraculous food over and over again. And, and now we come to Numbers 13, where... Um, they are getting ready to go into the promised land. It's time to make preparations to go into the promised land. And what we're going to look at today is the difference between the two spies and the ten spies. Two spies and ten spies. Because the two spies were living, the, their character was such, inside who they were, was such that they were living a life of our utmost for his highest. The 10 spies were living out of fear and out of, out of uh, what they, because they thought they knew better. 
which is the choice that each of us are going to have to make as we go through this year. Our, how are we going to live? Are we going to live for our utmost, for his highest, or are we going to live for ourselves? Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. And I put some bullet points there. All of, the, all of these 12 spies had all faced the same circumstances. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. Now, I want you to note that these were the best of the best. These 12 spies were the chief among each one of the tribes. They had been picked out of tens of thousands of each one of the tribes, because the, the estimate is that there were 600,000 men among the children of Israel that had been freed. So there were tens of thousands in each tribe, and out of those tens of thousands, each one of these had been chosen. Of those 12, two will live their utmost for God's highest. The other 10 will miss what God offered even though they're experiencing the same circumstances. So they're, they're being sent out on this reconnaissance mission. Jump down to verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and he said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is. It's a reconnaissance mission. See what the land is. Check it out. Whether the people who dwell in there are strong or weak, whether there are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether they are, there are trees in it or not. And so he's, he's just saying, check it out. Check out the land, what it's like. Are there trees? Are they, are they living in tents? Are they living in cities? Are they well fortified? Are they strong? Are they weak? Just come back. Just delay of the land. Just good reconnaissance. Be of good courage, because he knows they're going to they're gonna face some difficulties. Be of good courage and bring back some of the fruit of the land. Gain an understanding of the challenge that is before us. That's their assignment. Verse 21. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Lebo Hamath. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. And the descendants of Anak were there. Does anybody remember who Anak was? Giants. The descendants of giants. There are giants in the promised land. So that they discovered that. Verse 23, and they came to the valley of Eshcol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought out some pomegranates and figs. That it, in other words, this land is so plentiful that it takes Two people to carry one. But now, I, if you've been in the produce aisle at the, gra- at the grocery store, <laughs> I can carry several bunches of grapes with one finger. Think about that. They, that it is, God had told them, this promised land is so wonderful, you can't even imagine, and I'm going to give it to you. And they came back with evidence. All 12 went through the land. All 12 faced the same circumstances. Two saw through God's eyes. Ten saw through man's eyes. 
Here we begin to discover the difference. Verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. So for 40 days, these 12 men, by all indications, traveled together. They didn't split up. They traveled together. They went through the land. They saw what it was like. They, and, and they gathered their report. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Look what's there. Look at, look at what's there. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. It is the kind of land that God has promised to us. And so they did as instructed. They got, brought it back, brought samples. They also reported on the people as Moses had instructed them. Remember, go check the people. How are, they, are they strong or weak? Do they live in cities? Do they live in tents? That's, you know, and they brought back a report. Verse 28. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. That's the kind of information Moses asked for. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Are they strong or weak? They're strong. They're giants. The Amalekites live in the land of Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Now, on the surface, it appears they're doing what God, or God through Moses told them to do. Check out the land, check out the people, see what it is. But there's a problem. And the problem is the first word in verse 28. <coughs> however. You don't start a, re a positive report with however. A however is a word that connects two different ideas. Here's the information. Here's the interpretation of it. It appears that they're doing that, but it's a report of people who are only paying attention to an earthly realm reality. They're interpreting what they see according to themselves, as we'll see in a minute, because they compare themselves to the giants and they say, we look like grasshoppers and our eyes into them. They're looking through earthly realm eyes. They're only paying attention to this reality. And so that word indicates their attitude that will lead to rebellion. Because here in verse 30, we see Caleb respond. Caleb's one of the 12. Caleb and Joshua, the only names you ever need to remember of those 12. Verse 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Why did he need to quiet them? Because by the body language, by the attitude that the 10 spies had, they're communicating we can't do this. We, this is too big for us because they're seeing it through earthly eyes. And so Caleb quieted the people because they began to grumble before Moses said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb was where the 10 were paying attention to earthly realm. They're only seeing what was in front of them and what was inside of them. The two were paying attention to the heavenly realm reality. Because when you see everything through the filter of who God is, nothing looks big anymore except for God. Amen. And so Caleb is seeing it that way. The people understood what the 10 had not stated blatantly, as we can see, um, by, their, by their response in a minute. So the 10, in response to Caleb, because he's speaking God's word, and they're looking at themselves. 
report. Verse 31, the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. And now notice in these next verses what they do to the report. Because before it was, it was reporting facts. Now it is interpreting through the earthly realm eyes that changes the report. And, and just, and again, these are the chiefs of their people. These are not just people who sit around doing nothing all day. These are people who had distinguished themselves so that they were chiefs, they were, they were the influencers of the nation. They, they had lived in Egypt, they had watched all these miracles, they had been the ones who had been leading their tribes as Moses had come and the plagues were coming. They, they had been interacting with Moses, they had been interacting with God. They were not novices, they had been exposed to everything Joshua and Caleb had and still they were only seeing from the earthly realm. Which challenges us because we've never seen those kinds of miracles and challenges us to say, are we really seeing through God's eyes? Or are we still seeing through our earthly eyes and don't even realize it? Because if you had gone to those 10 and said, okay, let's sit down and have a powwow. You guys are all the leaders. Let's talk about this. They would go, no, we're not, you know, we're not influencing for evil. We're trying to do what's best for the people. Where have we heard that? In our own lives. I'm not talking about out there. I'm talking about here. We, we believe that we're doing best and we look back on it and we go, what was I thinking? Because I'm only seeing from this earthly realm instead of seeing from the heavenly realm. Notice what they do to the report. Verse 32. So they brought to the people of Israel bad report of the land that they had spied out saying, in other words, their interpretation was bad. It's not that the land was bad. Their interpretation was this is, this isn't a report uh, that indicates what we should do is not right, is bad. The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Wait a minute, just a minute ago, you said it was a land flowing with milk and honey. What about all these grapes sitting over here in the corner? What? Because when fear begins to take charge, we begin to reinterpret what we see. And we begin to, we don't call it lying. We call it, I don't know what we call it perceptions or interpretations or this is my truth and that you know that's your truth you know we the land through which we've gone to spy is a land that devours its inhabitants now what did they base that on did they see anybody being devoured no they're, they're projecting what's going to happen just like they said at the red sea we're all going to die that was their interpretation did they die no it's not true True, just because somebody says it's not true, it's only, the only thing that's true is what God says. And all the people that we saw are of great height. What was the original report? There are some giants in that land. Now the report is all the people are giants. Well, what about the toddlers? Are they, I mean, they can't hurt you. All the people are giants. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the, from the Nephilim. That's true. And we, and now they're really interpreting, we ourselves seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. They had taken God out of the equation and they were only seeing through their eyes. And now they're not even seeing 
truly through their eyes. They're seeing through evil. They're seeing through the enemy. They're seeing through the earthly realm. Which brings us to chapter 14. And the bullet point there is two lived out faith. Ten and all the people lived out fear. Then all the congregation, all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. These are people who experienced God take down the most powerful nation on earth, destroy the, the military of that nation at the Red Sea. And yet they're crying because there's a few giants in the promised land. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. <laughs> this is, so w Craig and Mike, it'll be interesting to see what they say about me when Michael and Craig come to preach in a couple of weeks. Because over the years, I've mentored them in leadership and different things. And, and my challenge is, uh, has, is it, with those, at that level, when, when guys are going into ministry, I, I, I lay it down straight going, Get ready for, for people complaining. Get ready for people criticizing. Be, get ready for the hard stuff. Because this is not about you, this is about God. And that's where Moses and Aaron, the whole people, it's the whole nation are grumbling against them. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in the wilderness. Fear makes us stupid. Right? When we, when we allow fear to control, it just makes us, because that's just dumb. Why? That, that's like saying, I'm going to pay $244,000 for a $300,000 life insurance a year. That's just stupid. Application. In 2023, you're going to face situations that have the potential to do to you what is happening to them here. Because you're going to face overwhelming things. It could be physical, financial, relational. It could be, you're going to face situations that the enemy is going to want to do the very same thing. Remember, these were the best of the best. These were not the dregs of society. And if it can happen to them, it can happen to us. Amen. Unless the Holy Spirit's in charge. Yes. 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 That's our salvation. We need to be his, our utmost for his highest this year. So that we live in faith in spite of fear. Because those fearful things are going to come. Verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Did you catch the stupidity of that? Oh, We've got two million people here. Let's, let's go knocking on the gate and say, we, we want to be your slaves again. It's dumber than dumb. <laughs> but notice the impact of the 10 is not just on them or their families. It's on the entire nation. The impact that you will have by whether you live as salt and light is going to go broader than you can ever imagine. 
You're not living just for yourself. That's another reason why we have to be our utmost for his highest is because what happens in your life is going to impact me. It's going to impact the person beside you. It's going to impact your relatives. It's going to impact your workplace. It's going to impact your neighborhood. It's going to impact the people that you're around because it, it just flows out of us. So they have influenced an entire nation of 2 million people to rebel against God. This is a defining moment for that entire generation. And it's possible that we will have defining moments in 2023. Individually, in our families, maybe for us as a church family. The key is living our utmost for his highest. Verse 5, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation. Not because they were afraid, but because they were devastated that the people were turning away from God. They were they, their hearts were broken for the, the um, dishonor that was give, being given to God. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among the, those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, grief, um, just distress, distraught, and said to all the congregation of, the, of Israel, the land which we passed, through to spite is an exceedingly good land. It's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, which he already said that he will, he will bring us into land and he will give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. Notice the difference. We are like grasshoppers, said the 10. They are like bread to us. We can just go in and tear them apart. Why? Because of the Lord. The Lord delights in us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. The same Lord who delivered us from Egypt can easily deliver this land to us. Why? The difference they were seeing from God's vantage point, from the heavenly realm reality, from how he interprets it, versus seeing just from the earthly realm. They were paying attention. Then all the congregation said to, um, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. They wanted to kill them. They were going to kill them. But God is still on His throne. Amen. When you see people with stones in their hands, ready to destroy you, they don't have a chance if God is in control, Amen. and it's not God's will. Now, sometimes God lets. Christians die. You know, sometimes martyrs, there are martyrs. But not this time, because it wasn't God's will. So they, did, they were not afraid of the people. They were distraught with how God was being dishonored. God is, as we surrender, listen, obey, as we live our utmost for his highest, God is in charge of your life. Nothing can touch you except God allows it. Amen. You have nothing to fear. Now, we still fear, but our faith needs to be bigger than the fear. Amen. I, I love the second part of verse 10. But the glory of the Lord appeared. You can try to stone us if you want, but God's still in charge. At the tent of the meeting, to all the people of Israel. So everybody saw the glory of the Lord show up. And at that point, I just, I, I just I stepped back and I wish I could see the face. I wish, 
you know, I could, all the crowd is there and I could be kind of standing off to the side from God and, and just watch the look on their faces when he shows up. Because you know, it had to be, oh no, what have we just done? And there's no going back. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I've done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a great, great, a nation greater and mightier than they. In other words, God's going to kill them all. He said, basically he's saying, uh, Moses, Aaron, Caleb, Joshua, pull your families over here. Get them out of the way. I'm going to destroy all these. I'm going to start over with you. Because I'm done with these people. There are times when you don't get a second chance. And we have to be, we need to be aware of that. And not presume upon God's grace. Moses in, the, in verses 13 to 19 pleads with God, says, don't kill him. It'll, it'll be bad for your reputation with other people. You know, he just talks to them. And, and God knew that he was going to respond that way. And so God says, okay. The two experience real life, the 10 experience death. God responds, okay, I'm not going to kill them, but I'm going to punish them. Verse 20, the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. In other words, anybody... 20 years and older is going to die in the wilderness. They're going to die here. They're not going to see. But their children that, that you, you said were going to be prey to these giants, they will get the land flowing with milk and honey, except for, for Joshua and Caleb, because they acted, they experienced the life of God. Caleb was living. Look at verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. There's our utmost for his highest. Amen. Having the spirit of God within us and allowing the spirit of God to be in charge and then obeying God completely. That's what it looks like. And as a result, Caleb and Joshua experienced that life. Now, just jump down to verse 36. Here's a special note. Here's the 10 who were chiefs of their people, who were the best of the best, who had gone into that land and rebelled against God. Look what happened to them right away. Verse 36, and the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land. The men who brought up a report, bad report about the land died by plague before the Lord right there. They didn't even get another year in the wilderness. But the people that they influenced spent the next 40 years wandering around in the wilderness dying one after another until it was time. An entire generation. Of those men who went to spot the land, only Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephna remained alive. They experienced life just simply because they chose to see as God sees rather than from the earthly realm. Now, here are the practices. We're not going to dig into them. I just wanted to highlight them for you today. What made the two different from the 10? The practices that come 
that, and, and again, these aren't exhaustive. This is just what has come out of my time with the Lord over the last few weeks of what I, what I, what I see differently. Here's what it is. These kind of practices, these lifestyle, these ways of, of doing life as you're going through the knees and nudges. Number one is to pay attention, to pay attention. Um, and so I shared, some of you know, Temple Miller, who joins us on, on Zoom a lot of times. Um, I shared with her these three and she goes, well, that sounds familiar. I'm like, yeah, it's familiar, but God is, is taking it deeper. Because here's the paying attention. In the past, I've talked about paying attention in the past. Pay attention to what's going But there's, I, there's a deeper level to paying attention. The first level is to what's happening around us. We need to pay attention. So the spies were supposed to look around, you know, pay attention. This is what's in front of you. We tell our kids to pay attention in different ways. We're teaching them to drive. Don't just pay attention to your car right here. Pay attention to what's up ahead of you. If you're playing sports, pay attention to what's happening on the field. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Don't just pay attention to yourself. But the deeper level is to pay attention to what God says about what is happening the interpretation of what is going on. So when the spies went into the land, all 12 of them saw there's giants, there's good fruit, there's, you know, they're living in strongholds, right? They saw all that. But then somehow Joshua, by the spirit within them, and as they fully followed God, they were able to see God was bigger where the others didn't. So it's about paying attention. So when, you, when we come across a difficulty, when we come across a temptation or a struggle or a conflict, and, and we're, we're not sure, instead of just trying to deal with it from an earthly realm reality, we take a step back and we say, God, what is it that you're doing here? Explain to me what's going on in the bigger picture. It's like going, not just seeing what's happening on the field of play, but it's going to the coach and saying, what's the bigger picture? And when he tells you, oh, well, in the fourth quarter we're going to do this, then it begins to make sense what's happening in the second quarter. So it's getting that bigger picture. So I'm just, again, uh, I would love to dig in, but we're not. (laughs) Just giving it to you, trying to fix it in your mind, put it on your refrigerator someplace, because this is where we're coming back to. Number two is to get ready, be ready. To be ready. And we've talked about being ready in the past, but it's, it's about being ready at a deeper level. First level is skill set, is um, the spiritual habits that we talk about. It's, um, so if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is full of ways of living. This is the skill set. So he says, be salt and be light and forgive your enemy and pray for those who persecute you and um, build your house on, on your, your life on the rock. Don't be, don't be a foolish builder and love those who persecute you and forgive 490 times. And, and it's all of these skills that we're supposed to be doing. And that's what we've talked about so much in the past. It's reading your Bible, it's praying, it's fasting, it's doing all these things that will make you who you're supposed to be. But there's a second level. And, and God has been pushing me on this and it's gonna be big for us. It's a mindset, it's a toughness. It's an internal character toughness, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical toughness that causes us to endure and persevere and not get caught up in the fear, but be able to allow God to let us see the giants as smaller than God instead of bigger. That's the toughness. 
Because there's a, there's a, I've watched so many people who call themselves Christians who go through difficult things that they don't understand and they bail. What I'm talking about is a toughness that says when things are really hard, I'm going to be the person running toward the danger instead of away from it. I'm going to do the hard things that I need to do in order to be the person of God that will not be controlled by the world or the fear, and, but rather by the Spirit. That's the difference between the two and the ten. Amen. There's a toughness about them that you can't push them into fear. And then finally, soldier together. We've talked about this. Um, I find it interesting that in the Bible, it's a rare time when you see just one person. In this case, it was Joshua, Caleb, Moses, and Aaron, four against the two million or whatever because they had each other. In another case, we see um, Aaron and her holding up Moses' arms and winning the battle and Joshua down fighting the battle. It's this, this a deeper level of soldiering together. And, and, um, and, and the, the subtle ways that the enemy tries to get in, especially in our culture is, and this is just one quick example, is, um, well, I don't want to bother anybody, even though I'm, I'm going through the struggle. I don't, I don't want to bother somebody by um, asking, calling them up and asking them to pray for me or talk to me. I, does that ever go through your mind? That's the enemy. Because greater is he when we are together. Two or th- more gathered together in his name. It's just subtle things like that. We need to be able to soldier together. So what do we do with all of this? We're going to celebrate communion as a way to kind of wrap this up. Randy's going to come and lead us for that. Well, my, our utmost for his highest is a theme for the year. It's an invitation to experience this. So I'm, I'm serious about taking those three action items, habits, lifestyle, way of thinking, I don't, I don't, practices, and beginning to ask God, how, what do you need to say to me about this? And then following his lead. Randy, come prepare us for communion.